Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in Indiana's prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before we get started with this week's theme, we want to share some prison-related news. The Chicago Reader reported that on October 10th, activist youth in the city protested Mayor Rahm Emanuel's plan to build a $95 million police and fire training academy in Chicago. The young people boarded subways, carried signs, and engaged commuters by asking them what they thought the $95 million should go for. The activists chanted, quote, We want schools for kids, not cops. We want police accountability, not more resources for the police. A fancy new building will not end racism. We want real safety in our communities. That means investing in programs and services like quality schools, quality health care, jobs for teens, child care for all, living wages, unquote. The training compound would occupy a 30-acre site and include a swimming and diving pool, driving course, shooting range, labs, classrooms, and auditorium, and would also contain a mock subway station and apartment building. The city already spends $4 million a day on policing and has paid out almost $300 million in settlements over the last five years. Portside reports that Gary, Indiana has become an important hub for immigrant deportation. Every Friday morning, buses from Illinois enter the Gary Chicago International Airport to load immigrants onto a plane. The plane stops in Kansas City to pick up more immigrants and takes them to Brownville, Texas, where they are deported. According to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, by April of this year, over 19,000 immigrants were deported through the Gary Airport. Since May, the Northwest Indiana Resistance, composed of organizations and individuals who oppose bans, walls, and deportations, has pursued ways to publicize and condemn the deportations. Chicago and Northwest Indiana activists gathered with media on the morning of October 6th when hundreds of protesters arrived by car and bus at the Gary Airport to defend DACA and protest the deportations. For the first time, unions took part in the protest. Chicago Jobs with Justice brought a bus with activists from a large array of organizations. The latest edition of an annual report called Whole Pie Mass Incarceration from the Prison Policy Initiative offers the first detailed look at the 219,000 women incarcerated in the U.S. 99,000 of them are locked up in state prisons, 96,000 are in local jails, and 14,000 in federal prisons. In contrast to the total incarcerated population, of which state prisons hold twice as many people as do jails, Incarcerated women are nearly evenly split between state prisons and local jails. 60% of jailed women haven't been convicted of a crime and are awaiting trial. Avoiding pretrial incarceration is a special challenge for women, who have lower incomes than incarcerated men and thus have a harder time affording cash bail. An earlier study concluded that women who couldn't make bail had an annual median income of only $11,000. 
Typically, bail is $10,000. The Indianapolis Star reported that a recent ruling by a federal judge stipulated that Indiana's mandatory sex offender classes for incarcerated people violated their constitutional right to be free from self-incrimination. The decision in the four-year-old case reverses an Indiana Supreme Court decision from 2014 that found the classes to be constitutional. The new ruling in the class action lawsuit will affect all convicted and incarcerated sex offenders who choose not to participate in the Indiana Sex Offender Monitoring and Management Program. The program forces participants to confess guilt in the crimes they're charged with. Convicted of sex crimes, the plaintiffs argued that because they pled not guilty for the crimes, they shouldn't be forced to attend the program. The Indiana Attorney General's Office has filed an emergency request to stop the case temporarily, pending an appeal, claiming the decision could place the public at risk by releasing convicted sex offenders into society. Hal Rogers, a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from Kentucky, is bent on constructing a new federal prison in Letcher County, Kentucky. The Department of Justice opposes the prison, which would cost taxpayers $444 million. In August, the Department of Justice, which oversees the U.S. Bureau of Prisons, retracted its request for funding to build the prison, saying that it is unnecessary. The Bureau of Prisons has acknowledged that the prison would not benefit the local economy. Rogers' plan is to build the prison on the site of a toxic former mountaintop removal coal mine. Opponents of the prison claim it would cause serious health and environmental problems. At stake are drinking water quality, exposure to radon and chemicals from mining waste, dangers from the dozen natural gas wells operating nearby, potential strains on local infrastructure, and disturbance of endangered and otherwise protected species habitat. Next, we'd like to share an analysis of the repression inside North Carolina's prisons. The trends it describes are common across American prisons, as administrators scramble to suppress collective organizing by prisoners. This text was published anonymously and in solidarity with North Carolina prison rebels. It reads, It's come to our attention that North Carolina prisons are now using a new classification system to drastically increase time and isolation for North Carolina prison rebels. Maximum and intensive control units, MCON and ICON respectively, are sometimes now being exchanged for rehabilitation diversion units, RDUs. As explained by one prison rebel active with the third-party Black Panthers, currently in segregation on the RDU at Marion, North Carolina, if a prisoner is charged with an A-class offense of any nature, the prisons are giving you a recommendation for ICON, but that's no longer in existence, so they're calling it Restrictive Housing Per Administrator. The facility heads are not signing off on that scam, so prisoners who are found guilty of A-class offenses, who would normally get 30 days in segregation, are now getting six months of restricted housing, and then three months of modified housing. Not only that, prisoners can now be removed at any time into a more punitive segregation at a facility in Marion, North Carolina, not unlike the control management units reported on by former political prisoner Daniel McGowan, writes the same prisoner, now it's all being set up to fly prisoners out of facilities on any day of the week directly to this RDU program where you're stripped of everything, your law work, 
law books, and anything religious that's not in line with the facility's redneck cross-breeding hillbillies. All this translates to a kind of bureaucratic sleight of hand by which rebellious, conscious, and disruptive prisoners, as well as mentally disabled prisoners, are likely to face many times the amount of months in isolation than they would have before. These shifts in methods of social control can be read as a response to rebellion on both sides of the wall. In particular, targeting prisoner-led revolt, large and small, including the nationwide strike which struck U.S. facilities in September 2016. According to the Crime Reporter, on October 18th, the Pew Charitable Trust issued the results of a study that found the amount states spend on health care per incarcerated person varied drastically. It also concluded that a seamless approach to incarcerated people's health care needs during and after prison should be an essential goal for state policymakers and corrections administrators. The study found that effective post-prison health care programs can decrease recidivism. The study observed that formerly incarcerated people as a group generally have more serious health care needs than the non-incarcerated. Statistics show that the proportion of older people in prison rose between 2010 and 2015. When they leave prison, their needs are often more critical and can include continuing treatment for addiction disorders and dementia. According to Maria Schiff, an author of the study, said, quote, the time immediately following release is especially dangerous, even deadly, end quote. The Federal Bureau of Prisons is employing prisoners as workers. As The Economist points out, quote, prison labor is legally required in America. Most convicted inmates either work for nothing or for pennies at menial tasks that seem unlikely to boost their job prospects, unquote. Called Federal Prison Industries, the Bureau of Prisons program pays inmates about 90 cents per hour to produce all kinds of things, from mattresses, eyeglasses, and road signs, to body armor for other government agencies. Prisoners have produced official seals for the Departments of Defense and State, according to a Bureau spokesperson. As The Economist points out, the hourly wage is lower than the cost of a chocolate bar at the commissary, yet many prisoners remain on the waiting list for jobs. Kitchen work at prisons pays 12 to 40 cents an hour. Federal prisoners' labor earned $500 million in sales in the fiscal year 2016. On July 20, 2016, protesters at the Republican National Convention in Cleveland burned an American flag to express their political views in protest of the Republican Party and the presidential nominee Trump. Police immediately arrested 12 people, held them in jail for about 30 hours, and filed criminal charges. On October 20th, a municipal court dismissed all the charges. He ruled that all the arrests were unconstitutional violations of the protesters' First Amendment rights. The protesters had filed motions to dismiss the charges, arguing that the arrests violated their First Amendment rights because ordinances were unconstitutionally applied to them, and their arrests imposed unconstitutional prior restraints on their freedom of speech and assembly. Burning the flag has long been recognized indisputably as a free speech activity protected by the First Amendment. Noche Diaz, one of the protesters whose charges was dismissed, said, quote, We are thrilled that the court saw these arrests for what they were, quashing dissent, unquote. 
This week, we're sharing letters from Indiana prisoners who've been affected by the recent change in mailroom policy. Last April, the Indiana Department of Corrections banned all correspondence to its 25,000 prisoners except that which is handwritten on lined white paper. The official explanation is that this is an attempt to block trafficking of synthetic marijuana which can be applied to paper. But many prisoners and advocates have pointed to a long series of earlier measures targeting correspondence and the mailing of political and religious materials and argue that this is just the latest and most sweeping attempt to isolate prisoners from outside supporters. In particular, prisoners have pointed to the exclusion of Afrocentric and anti-racist materials by mailroom censors. The first major test of this ban was Easter, when families across the state had their holiday cards returned to them. Chicago-based St. Basil Greek Orthodox Church has an outreach ministry which sends prisoners' cards around the holidays. Pat Cole, who coordinates the ministry with her husband Steve, said, A lot of prisoners have said to us in their letters that if it weren't for us, no one would be corresponding. We're reaching into the darkness. The letters really are a lifeline. After the Easter cards were rejected, Steve Cole said, It's ridiculous. What more can they do to dehumanize the prisoners? The ban has continued to tighten over the summer, as mailrooms and more facilities fully adopted it. The IDOC set an October 1st deadline to reconsider or confirm the policy, and decided this month to confirm it. The mail ban policy pushes families, friends, and supporters to use JPay, a proprietary pay-only online communication system. Sending emails through JPay requires the purchase of expensive digital stamps, channeling money to IDOC and its contractors rather than the post office. It's also easier to surveil. IDOC Watch has already mobilized alongside the families of affected prisoners to demonstrate against the mail ban at the state capitol in Indianapolis. On today's episode, we share statements from prisoners who've been hurt by the mail ban. They reflect on ways the ban has secluded them from their families, limited their access to reading materials, and pushed them into isolation. This letter begins with a quote. It is the corrosive daily frustrations, the inability to communicate or to establish meaningful relationships that is so soul-shrinking. Edward T. Hall, Beyond Culture. Where do I start with this oppressive IDOC mail policy? Well, it's only common sense to start with the root of the problem, capitalism, prison for profit. In January 2017, IDOC commissioners started negotiations with many tech corporations seeking the best bid, kickback, for delivering all Indiana prisoners electric tablets, which would then allow prisoners 24-7 access to JPay products. Emails, photos, videograms, pics, electric greeting cards, and soon-to-be movie and music downloads and Skype visitations. It's not by chance or even fear of drugs coming through mail that IDOC implemented the mail policy April 2017. But to prepare for the paradigm shift of incoming tablets that will increase profit through kickbacks for corporations, all restrictions, letters not written on notebook-lined paper, with markers and crayon marks, scribes, scent of perfume, photocopies of any kind, especially internet info printouts, brought on seem to be cornering the market by pushing prisoners and our families to use JPay, which cost in and outgoing emails. There has already been an increase in JPay use demand by prisoners here at PCF, yet there has been a major strain. 
quote, the corrosive daily frustration, the inability to communicate or to establish meaningful relationships, end quote, with the relationships between many prisoners and their family. The high phone cost, commissary cost, gas cost, and drive to visit, and, then, JPay email cost, all are economical and political divides to prisoners and their families. Beyond the agenda of profit, the mail policy works as a tool of censorship and hyper-monitoring of mail. First, all JPay mail can be monitored and retrieved for review, and, second, no progressive information from online and other sources is passing through the net of the policy. And it seems, in real time, IDOC is dumbing down prisoners to keep them unable to fight for or gain their freedom of mind and body. Clearly, we must come together against this fascist male policy. Because if we do not, there will be more policies put in place that are more oppressive and inhumane. Basically, IDOC is creating consumption prisoners at the expense of their families. Please, if you have loved ones locked up in Indiana, do something to help stop this bullshit. Another observation. The mail policy is but one of the many reflections from fascist and racist Indiana officials like Mike Pence, who is currently the U.S. Vice President serving under Trump. These policies and politics trickle down from the top to the bottom. As a person in prison, I am tired of being p***ed on, while not only some prisoncrat is trying to convince me that it's lemonade, but is trying to make me and my family buy it. WTF. I filed complaints in here, but we need your help out there. For a better world, Leon Benson. My name is Byron T. Street, and due to the mailroom issue, my family is having problems just writing a regular letter due to all the restrictions that the mailroom has. Some of my family don't seriously write, but they send seasonal greeting cards to express themselves. And due to these restrictions, my family has got to the point where they rather not write, because if they write and make a mistake, excessively cross something out, or use whiteout, it's most likely that I won't get the letter. So, with no cards, colored paper, drawings, or painted on paper, my family don't want to write to this facility at all. And this is overwhelming for a family who writes or corresponds on a regular basis. To no avail, I've sent complaints to the superintendent in the mailroom and explained that my grandmother is completely illiterate, and seasonal cards is what she sends to express the love, along with a self-addressed sticker. But since she can't write or type, how is she supposed to correspond with me? The mail policy in Pendleton Correctional Facility is a farce. These people deter our family and friends from writing, which creates a major disconnect with the outside world. They speak with contradiction, because in one breath they claim to encourage communication with our loved ones, but subject us to ever-changing policies slash rules that hinder communication. I have had letters confiscated because they smelled like a woman, or had a word scribbled out because of a misspelled word. It's as if they are trying to force the usage of the kiosk, or JPay, on me and my family, which eliminates tangible letters, pictures, and cards. I am supposed to use this technology once a week to communicate with my family, and this once a week, quote, privilege, is more often than not denied. To be an effective father, I must communicate with my family, and them with me, and the high cost of telephone calls is not an option. 
$8 for 30 minutes? How effective is that with a farsity of mailing policies slash rules? Can I get a Father's Day card? Not at all. Marcus I. Snell Dear Sir or Ma'am, I've been incarcerated for almost 21 years. By the grace of Yah, I've managed to keep close contact with my family by utilizing the United States Mail Service. Letter writing and receiving cards has helped tremendously with my rehabilitation inside of correctional facilities. To have physical, tangible contact with family and friends is paramount to my adjusting to prison life. This is being threatened by the DOC's latest policy pertaining to receiving cards and typewritten letters. The implementation of this new policy would place my family at a great disadvantage. They will have to use other means to communicate. Telephone rates have been reduced around the country, making it more affordable to make calls, whereas the Indiana Department of Corrections filed an injunction keeping the rates at 25 cents per minute. As a housing representative, I am tasked with communicating the prisoners' complaints to the administration. The new mail policy, along with the phone, is the greatest complaint. The lack of jobs inside the facility places a greater burden on our loved ones because the ability to relieve some of the stress from them is not available. The new mail policy only adds to that stress. I encourage you to look into this matter and to help us make our current situation less burdensome on our families. Sincerely, Sean L. Miller Greetings. You may be aware that in 2017, the IDOC at their Pendleton Correctional Facility also known as the Indiana State Reformatory, has enacted a new mail policy restricting our incoming mail mostly. But prior to said policy, I've suffered ongoing attacks on my incoming and outgoing U.S. and legal works slash correspondence. As late as 2014, shortly after arrival, after suffering arrest and imprisonment without any due process to date, I attempted to obtain notary service on my then outgoing pardon application, which is mandatory on the federal level. The PCF Superintendent's Office confiscated it without any due process and has refused to release to date. Other times, I was stopped and accosted by PCF officials inside the prison, legal papers confiscated and never returned, so I could not file with the court. And out of all the departments, the library has intercepted and refused key documents for motions slash petitions sent for copying. But most time, the whole document with exhibits are taken by library superintendents who then claim no knowledge of that material, once again denying access to courts. In an unrelated incident, a friend, Charlie Hill, was appealing his convictions. While waiting on his transcripts, the prison took possession once they arrived gave no notice to Mr. Hill, then held him in administration's building office until after his appeal deadline expired. This is a common occurrence. That happens to me on a regular basis, and started prior to the new policy. Opening legal mail outside my presence. I'm in opposition to this abuse and object to it. Respectfully, thanks if your organization can or will help. Please let me know. B.A. Corley My name is Tron L. Nash, an inmate at the Pendleton Correctional Facility. I have a grievance with the new IDOC's mail policy, which is now being implemented at this facility. Now that the current intake mail policy has been changed, it has drastically impacted me receiving personal mail from my family and friends. 
This change is another maneuver by the DOC to disconnect and discourage inmates and their loved ones from having any type of action or intimacy in the inmates' family lives. Before the policy change, I was able to receive letters from my nephew, two years of age, as well as my younger cousins, ranging from four years of age to 14 years of age. I have been incarcerated for almost 14 years, and the only time I'm able to be active in their lives is when they're able to come visit, which is another grievance in itself. But before this change, my younger relatives were able to send me letters that they themselves wrote, mind you that they are 2 to 14 years of age, and most of the time the letters which they sent were done in crayon, markers, etc. They hardly ever sent any letters in pencil or pen, but used the utensils which children are taught to use in majority of the schools at their age. Also, they were able, before the change, to send me pictures of their drawings or even send me their schoolwork to share with me, which they're not able to do anymore due to the current restrictions on all incoming mail. Also, the current mail policy has affected me receiving mail from my mother, who likes to share thoughts with me on any paper, whether scrap or notebook. Now she has to use specific paper to write me letters. Being that my mother is getting up in age and she has other obligations as well in her life, a thought which may come to her at any moment of time, she is no longer allowed to jot that thought down on any paper at hand to share with me, which in turn has become a hindrance on my mother being able to share certain thoughts unless she has the regulated paper handy. Not only that, but my mother and other relatives have medical conditions and complications with their hands and fingers, such as arthritis and other similar muscle and bone aches and pains with their hands. These aches and pains are stressed when they grab and use pencils and pens, so to alleviate such pains, they like to use computers to type letters, which is no longer permitted for them to do when sending letters to any of the IDOCs. These are some of the issues which I have with the current DOC mail policy. I have been considering filing grievances concerning these issues, but really didn't know how to go about doing so, being that this change of new policy has become an effective state law of Indiana, I believe. If you could assist me in how to go about and address these issues, I would appreciate it. I would like to personally thank you for your time and assistance in helping me to bring a solution to this matter. I look forward in writing with you to be able to change DOC's mail policy in order that we inmates and our loved ones can stay active and intimate in one another's lives. Sincerely, Tron L. Nash. If you would like to contact the prisoners who shared their grievances, you can get their information by emailing KiteLine. Although the new IDOC mail restrictions are currently permanent, many are continuing to challenge these restrictions, and a grassroots campaign will be ongoing, on which we'll continue to update you. This has been KiteLine. Anyone affected by the prison system in any form is welcome to write us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. KiteLine wants your feedback. You can reach us via email at kitelineradio at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Are you or someone you care about affected by the prison system? You can call us to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512 or you can use this number to record a message to a loved one behind bars. You can hear previous episodes of our show or get more information on the prisoners or stories covered on KiteLine at our website, kitelineradio.noblogs.org. You can also find our podcast on iTunes. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. We are not responsible for all views expressed on the program. WFHB, its contributors, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the views expressed on the show. This has been KiteLine. 
Join us every Friday at 5.30 p.m. for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our communities. Thank you for listening.